We're going to be First Chronicle First Chronicles twenty one uh, this morning. We'll be we will be uh, staying in the Old Testament for a short while, trying to learn some things from people who've learned some things. Right? The the we, the, we just had revival. Uh, I, I think it was a pretty decent revival. I think there were plenty to plenty of things to consider and pray about. And uh, uh, if you missed it, it's still online. You can go and catch up. But I want to. Con- I think I want to continue in the idea of revival, and not in the, in the usual way of revival, but really considering what's going on in the world and the whole virus problems that every church is facing and struggling with and overcoming and persevering in and figuring things out the question is how are we going to function in the middle of the recovery as we move forward because that's what it is we got we got knocked off the rails for just a moment and every church in the world deals with this the question is is how will we recover will we be Stronger than ever? Will we be less than ever? Will we be something different than we ever were? So the question is, how can we learn? Well, I, I've learned that I, I've learned about myself that I learn from others. <laughs> right? I've learned about myself that sometimes I can look at what others have done or uh, not done and not have to make some of those same mistakes and learn the easy way. I have learned from personal experience that learning the hard way is not the best way. If you could avoid it, I think uh, that would have been a good place to practice an amen. So get ready as we look at David this morning. David, I like David. David, the king of Israel. David, the one who threw a rock and hit the giant and killed the giant when everyone else was afraid. That's why I like David. David, the one who honored God with his life, but also David, the one who, when he messed up, he did a pretty good job at it, right? Which which makes me look at myself, and I'm like, okay, well, I make bad choices. I give in to temptation sometimes. I've done some things that I'm not proud of, but God still loved David, and it's the same God, so maybe God can still love me, right, regardless. So today I want to talk about David, and one of, one of the things that he did, and it's not really, you know, you, most time people talk about David's big sin, right, we call them big sins. <laughs> we talk about David's big sin, but this here sin really wasn't all that big in, 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 in the realm of measuring what, how we measure sin, so, so 1 Chronicles chapter 21 is our scripture. First, I want to give you a little bit of quick history, basics of, of, of what, the, uh, what, we're re- what we're reading about. Chronicles is, is a book of recovery. It talks about recovery. Uh, in 606 B.C., Israel was exiled to Babel, uh, Babylonia. They were taken captive. They were, like, they were taken over, and they had to run, and they had to be uh, in refugee camps. And that happened for 70 years. Can you imagine being run out of your nation, run out of your homes, and have to be somewhere else for 70 years before you could even return? 
And finally, the ones who were their enemies were taken over, and I think it was Cyrus who came and said, hey, y'all go home. Right? Talk about being free. Talk about set free. So they're going home. They're on their way home. And, and Ezra, who is the one who wrote what we read in Chronicles, is telling this story about David to the people as they're on their way home in 536 B.C. So God sent them Nehemiah, who, if you read the book of Nehemiah, Nehemiah rebuilt Jerusalem. That's a whole other story to read. And Ezra is the one who came, God sent to teach them the wisdom that they needed to know to recover. So the book of Samuel and Kings record the political history of Israel, just, just so you know, and the book of Chronicles records the same history. So all of Samuel and Kings and the book of Chronicles say the same thing. So why is it in there twice? So Samuel and Kings record all the details, the political things that were going on, and Chronicles shares with us the lessons to be learned from those things. And of course Samuel and Kings were wrote, written by a group of prophets, different ones, and Ezra wrote the book of Chronicles. Tried to get through that quickly because I want to use most of my time to talk about what happened. So what did David do? All right, here it is, 1 Chronicles 21, verse 1 and 2. I'm in the, in, the New American Standard Version this week. Just so you know, it might look different than what you might be reading, and that's okay. Verse 1 says, Then Satan stood up against Israel and moved David to, to number Israel. So David said to Joab and to the, prince, the princess of the people, Go number Israel from Beersheba, even to Dan, and bring me uh, word that I, might, that I may know uh, their number. So you might still be asking the question, what did David do? Remember, uh, last, it was like sometime last year, like within, in our first six or eight months, we were preaching here. And I come up here, stood right here, and I told y'all that me and my wife, on the other side of Waynesville, jumped on the parkway at about 9.30 at night and drove over here. On the parkway. You remember y'all's reaction to that? I mean, I'm telling you what, it was the loudest reaction I've ever heard from anything I've ever said. <laughs> y'all were like, <gasps> like I had done something totally crazy. So when I tell you what David did, I want y'all to do that exact same thing. It's audience participation. I want you to do that. Just do it. Just be funny. Don't, don't, don't like exhale real loud because we're trying to be safe. Just breathe in and go, <gasps> like that. So here's what David did. David counted people. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? David counted some people. Why is that so wrong? Why do you suppose that was so wrong? He counted people. Here's how we know that it was wrong. Let's go into verse 3 through 7. So in Joab, because he told Joab to go count these people, and Joab said, listen to me, whenever you're about to do something wrong, something to offend God, God will always give you a way out right before. If you're paying attention, there will be a way out right before you commit to it. Just know that. Here's, the, here's his way out. Joab said, May the Lord add to his people a hundred times as many as they are! Exclamation point. In other words, these are God's people, and he'll add to his people as he sees fit. But, my Lord, little L, talking to David as king, the king... Are they not all my Lord's servants? T 
talking about the people he wants to be counted. Why does my Lord seek this thing? Why should he be a cause of guilt to Israel? So here's Joab, servant to the king, King David. And David says, hey, why don't you go count? Really, what David wants is to know how many troops he has in his military. That's what he's after. It doesn't seem like there's anything wrong with that, but Joab seems to think there's something wrong with it. He's like, hey, why are you going to count their people? Wouldn't you think that God would add to whatever you needed if you need it? Wouldn't you think that God would take care of how many people you need if you ever need these people for anything? And then he says, why, why, should, you be, why should you, David, be a cause of guilt for the entire nation? He's warning David. Nevertheless, verse 4, see if I got that on there yet. Nevertheless, verse 4 says, The king's word prevailed against Joab. Anytime you have a leader that just insists on being in charge and never wants to listen to anyone else, I'm the king and I said go count people, so go count people. There's a problem. There's a problem with that. So he says, therefore Joab departed and went throughout all Israel and came to Jerusalem. Verse 5, and Joab gave the number of the census of all the people to David, and all Israel were 1,100,000 men who drew the sword. And Judah was 470,000 men who drew the sword. But, verse 6, he did not number Levi and Benjamin among them, for the king's command was abhorrent. Joab was offended about what he was asking him to do, what he wanted him to do. Joab was offended because David, the man after God's own heart, was leading with a bad example of how to be a man, a man after God's own heart. We still haven't answered the question, what was so wrong about what David did? He, he, didn't, he, he was counting his army to see how great he was, to see how many people he had in case he ever needed them. There was no, there was no war going on at this moment. There was no, no one coming after them that he would need to know how many people. He just wanted to know how big his kingdom was. Hello? He wanted to know how big whose kingdom was? He wanted to know how big his kingdom was. And Joab saw that in him and said, wait a minute, David. Wait a minute, David, don't forget. Don't forget what we're doing here. Don't forget who you are and how you got to be who you are. Don't forget God. And of course, a man full of pride, like David was in this moment, doesn't even hear none of that. You don't tell me what to do. I'm the king. You don't, you don't defy me. Go count the people. I want you to count the people. Go count the people. Some of y'all are like, well, how are we going to be in revival when you're talking about this kind of stuff? Right? How, how, how's this going to get me revived? How's this going to get me excited about the Lord? How's this going to get me on fire for making disciples? Well, let me tell you this. No one ever got saved without recognizing the sin in their own heart and then repenting of it. And salvation is the ultimate revival. For the sinner. So revival doesn't change just because it 
involves an entire community of believers or the body of Christ as a whole or the individual nowadays. What does this have to do with me? Well, hold that question and I'll tell you as I get through all of this. Here's David's initial reaction, right? Look at verse 7 first. It says, And God was displeased with this thing, so he what? Struck Israel. Remember Joab is like, why should the whole nation pay for your sin? Why should the whole nation suffer because you're full of pride, David? That's what Joab was saying to him. And sure enough, here we are. Not only was Joab offended and, and sickened by the pride that swelled up into David's heart, but God was displeased. And he struck the entire nation of it. Why would he do such a thing? Why would God do that? I suspect that it was because it was the object of David's pride. David looked at all of Israel and said, I am the king of all of this. And look how great it is. And some of us will sit back and say, stupid David. How could he do such a thing after what all of what God did to him, for him, and, and how God helped him uh, 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 slay the, the giant, and, and how God helped him flee his enemies, and how God's given him victory after victory after victory, and yet he still treats God like this. This is the same David that went out on the battlefield when the giant was out there taunting all of Israel and his brothers were hiding behind a rock, scared for their life, and they wouldn't do anything, not remembering that God is God of all. And David, as a boy, ran out there and said, are we not God's people? Do we not trust in God? Turned around and threw a rock and killed the dude. Same, the same David. Here's David's reaction to God reacting to his sin in verse 8. David said to God, I have sinned greatly in that I have done this thing, but now please take away the iniquity of thy servant, for I have done very foolishly. That seems genuine, doesn't it? Doesn't that sound genuine to you? I mean, he, he confessed, he sinned. He acknowledged that he sinned. Right? He says, I, I, David said to God, I have sinned greatly. Good start. And then he says, I have done this thing. Can't even say what it was. But, he says, take away the iniquity of your servant. He wants the guilt taken away. He says to God, I've, I've offended you. Please take away the guilt. He trusts that God will do that. He trusts that God is a God of mercy and grace. So he says, take away this guilt because I've done a foolish thing. Now ask yourself, think about this and ask yourself, do we see repentance, genuine remorse in this statement? On the surface, maybe. But he's saying, yes, I have sinned against you, God, but I know that you're a merciful God, so please take away this guilt. Make me feel better. If you really want revival in your life, you really want the Lord to forgive you and to be on fire for the Lord and for you to go to the next level of your spiritual journey with God, there has to be something deeper than what David's doing right here. 
It, it has to be, God, I've sinned against you. It can't be, take away the guilt so I feel better, so I'm not convicted anymore. He's embarrassed. He can't hide his sin because all of Israel's paying for it. God, take this away from me because all these people are looking at me like I've done something wrong. Well, you have. You have done something wrong. You've not only offended God, but you've offended everybody that you're, you claim to be Lord over. The, the, in order for the church to get through whatever God is doing in the church's life, good or bad, there has to be a genuineness about the relationship. There has to be honesty between us and God. And that includes when we have offended him. By the way, I'm, I'm still studying about this and thinking about this, but sometimes people refer to sin as a mistake. Use the word mistake. Maybe you have. I'm of the personal opinion that the, I would only use the word mistake, and I'm not saying I'm, I'm right and you're wrong. I'm saying I use the word mistake as something that I did accidentally. So when I say uh, I, I sinned, I cannot use the word mistake. Because mis if it's a mistake, if it's an accident, then maybe I'm not to be held accountable for it. Maybe I am. However, if, if I know from my personal experience and from what I read in the scripture, all sin is intentional. We decide to do something. We allow wickedness and darkness to grow in our hearts and it causes us to behave in a way that results in what we see here. David knows God and David knows who God is. Somehow, he allowed the wickedness to swell up in his heart and think more of himself than he should have. If he'd have been paying attention to the Lord and seeking the Lord the whole time, he may have never gotten to this place. But during this time, it took nine months for Joab to go count these people, approximately. During that nine-month period, there's no record of any psalms being written by David. There's no record of anything by David interacting with God. Somehow or another, David got off track with God. When he sinned with Bathsheba and killed her husband trying to cover it up, he should have been somewhere else. It's always when he's somewhere he shouldn't be is when he gets himself in trouble with God. So, here we are. He said, I've asked. So then we go to the consequences. It's getting ready to get heavy, y'all. Try to get through this pretty quick. He, it, so, and I, this, this right here is not the, the slide I wanted on there. Verses 9 through, well, it is the slide I wanted on there. Verse 9 through 12, right? He says this, the Lord spoke to Gad. Uh, you can look in your Bible because it's too much to put on the screen. Uh, this is David's seer. So God sends Gad to talk to David and tell him what's going to happen. He says, go speak, go speak to David, verse 10, saying, Thus says the Lord, I offer you three things. Choose for yourself one of them that I may do it to you. <laughs> you ever get caught with something with your parents and your parents call you in and you're getting ready to hear your punishment? You get that three and a half day lecture that you wish was over and you've got to stand there and take it? <laughs> this is what's happening with David. 
But see, God gives David options. I don't remember ever getting any options, not from my parents or from God. But God, in this moment, God's given David some options. You decide how, what you want to happen because you're, you, you, think, you think you're so big, you think you're God of all, you think you're in charge. Okay, you decide what's going to happen. And here's his, here's his options. He came to David in verse 11, and he says this, says, this is what the Lord says, verse 12, either three years of famine or three months to be swept away before your foes while the sword of your enemies overtakes you or else three days of the sword of the Lord, even pestilence in the land and the angel of the Lord destroying throughout all the territory of Israel. Those are the three options right there. Three years of famine or three months of being overtaken by your enemies and captured and put in captivity and being destroyed and all, of, all that comes with that. Or you can have three days of the sword of the Lord. Now think about it. Just take a minute and think about that. What would you choose? What do you think you would choose? Three years is a long time. And if you hadn't noticed, I like to eat. So I'm not choosing that one. If I'm going to be selfish, I might as well be selfish. That's where my heart's at anyway. What about three months? Three months is a long time too, but three months is a long time when your enemies are oppressing you and putting you in captivity. Three months can seem like three years when you're going through something like that. But then there's this three days of the sword of the Lord. In other words, three days in the hands of God. Imagine now, three days is not very long. Three days. It's really long when you're trying to fast, right? But three days doesn't seem like a long time when you compare it to three months or three years. But three days of pestilence and the angel of the Lord just causing havoc all over Israel. What would you choose? You have to choose one. Verse 13 here. what he says oh let me go back let's look at verse 13 this is where this is where you have to read through stuff david said to gad i am in great distress isn't it funny how when we cause the distress we start whining and crying like we're the victim of something which we are we're the victim of our own choices we're the victim of our own sin and David's like, I'm in great distress. Please let me fall. Look what he says. Let me fall into the hands of the Lord. Maybe some of you wouldn't have picked that one. Imagine. Here's why he said he's going to fall in the hands of the Lord. He says, for his mercies are very great. Listen to David. Listen to David. But do not let me fall into the hands of men. Listen to David. Even in his sin, he knows God. Even in his ugliness, he it has this awareness of who God is. He says, because to me, when I'm looking at that list, let me see if I can get it back up here. When I'm looking at this list, I'm like, hands of the Lord, that's pretty serious right there. There's nothing greater than God. There's nothing more powerful than God. There's nothing more scary than the judgment of God, the wrath of God. And that's what's been offered to him for three days. And David chooses that. 
Now look what he did. He's like, I know that God is merciful. Even in his wrath, he's merciful. Even in his anger, I know that God is merciful. But also notice that the other two choices affected everyone else. The other two choices affected all of Israel, affected all of Israel directly. And you would think that maybe he picked this because he's not being so selfish. I think he still is a little bit, but we can find out that it was the best choice. Let's look at, let's look at what happens. Uh, let's look at what happens in verse 14. So the Lord sent pestilence on Israel, pestilence on Israel, uh, sickness. And it says 70,000 men of Israel fell from the sickness. It's a lot of people. All because David offended God. God sent an angel to Jerusalem to destroy it. But as he was about to destroy it, the Lord saw and was sorry over the calamity and said to the destroying angel, it is enough. Now relax your hand. David was right. God is a God of mercy. He's just, but he's a God of mercy. He was standing by the threshing floor of Ornan the Jebusite. Ornan, Ornan, Ornan the Jebusite. So what's happening is people are getting sick and they're dying and the whole world is in chaos because the angel of God is creating havoc and destroying by God's command. And God says, hold up, that'll be enough. Because God had mercy. The reason I'm pointing this out is because we have to understand that when we go before God, even in our sin, we have to trust that God has mercy. If we don't trust that God is merciful, even when we don't deserve it, when we're totally convicted of our offenses toward Him, we will never confess our sin. And we'll never get right with Him. And there will never be revival. What does this have to do with how we're coming out of this pandemic or how we're coming out of whatever else is going on in the world? What does this have to do with it? Well, here's what it has to do with it. We were, uh, in, in early February, everybody was shut down, stuck in their house. And slowly we started coming out, but still couldn't come to church, couldn't go and do our normal things out in the community. We were restricted and we grew a little uncomfortable with that, if we're being honest, all right? We, can't, we, we didn't like it. The question that we have to ask ourselves is, what is God doing in all of this? How is God involved? What does he want from the church? And I have to, as I'm preparing to share this with you, I'm looking at David, and I'm like, David wasn't being seeking the Lord. He wasn't doing what he was supposed to be doing to help his relationship with God. He wasn't spending time with God. And he got himself in trouble. 
So I have to ask myself, and I'm going to ask you, what were we doing in the first part of this year to be with God as we were shut down in our homes, as we were being forced to stop our lives? Were we spending our days in the Word of God and on our knees in prayer, seeking the Lord about what to do and how to present the kingdom of God throughout the whole thing? Or were we on Facebook complaining with the rest of the world? I'm guilty, y'all. I'm guilty as anybody else. It's hard. Here's what David did. Here's his genuine reaction, verse 17 and verse 19. This is, his, this is what set him free. This is what God wants. Verse 17 says, David said to God, Is it not I who commanded the count to count the people? Indeed, I am the one who has sinned and done very wickedly. Because, you know, David's seeing all this stuff too, just like God saw it. And David's heart is breaking too because God's heart was breaking because all these people were being destroyed. Because why, and, and you say to yourself, well, why did God do it in the first place? Because God is just. And when we sin against him, it demands a payment. He says, but these sheep, what have they done? These people, what have they done? What, are they, what have all these people done? They just did what I told them to do. And he says, oh, Lord, my God, please let thy hand be against me and my father's household, but not against thy people, that they should be plagued. Now, I'm not standing up here saying that we have this virus because somebody sinned or some nation sinned. Or I'm not saying anything like that, but I'm also not saying it's not out of the question. I don't know. But if we're not looking at ourselves this deeply during this time we will miss the boat and we will not find what God is leading us to do and how he's leading us to respond if we think that whenever the world gets the light switch turned back on and everything goes back to whatever we think is normal we're just going to go back to whatever we were doing before maybe that was honoring God maybe it wasn't maybe it's making disciples maybe it wasn't but if we don't come out of this thing stronger than what we were before, we missed the boat. David's like, I did this. Don't punish them. I did this. It's genuine remorse now. You see the difference from the first prayer that David said. Now he's saying, verse 18 says, Then the angel of the Lord commanded Gad to say to David that David should go up and build an altar. God's like, okay, since you're truly sorry now and you understand that you have repented and I'm a God of mercy and forgiveness then let's see some evidence of your remorse what are you going to do about that so he tells him to go up and build an altar so verse 19 says David went up and built he says it says so David went up at the word of Gad which was given to him by God which he spoke in the name of the Lord and he said, and it says, verse twenty. Now Ornan turned back and saw the angel of his four, the angel and his four sons who were with him hid themselves because they saw the king, King David. It's like that's reverence. And Ornan was threshing wheat. He's working. He's busy. He's doing what he's supposed to be doing. Verse twenty-one says, and as David came to Ornan, Ornan looked and saw David and went 
uh, went out from the threshing floor and prostrated himself before David with, uh, with, with his face to the ground. This is uh, uh, one of the people that David was counting, and the king, King David, the God, he's only king because God made him king, King David shows up and he falls on his face before this man, David, this sinner man. The one who's up trying to get himself right with God, and he falls on. When's the last time you fell on your face before God? When's the last time you genuinely fell on your face before God because of who he is? And this guy's reacting to the king of Israel in this way because he knows that God chose him to be the king. So this is reverence for God. Can you imagine the guilt? The, the, the guilt you know, David's like coming out of his guilt and he's confessing his sins and he comes up to this guy and he's like, um, I'm going to need this right here. And this guy falls on his face honoring him even though he doesn't deserve to be honored as a king because he wasn't acting like a king. And because this man, along with the rest of Israel, was being punished because of this man's actions and he still falls on his face before him because that's what God put in place. And as David came to Orne, he looked at David and went out from the threshing floor and, and prostrate himself. Verse 22 then says, Then David said to Ornan, Give me the site of this threshing floor, that I may build, it in a, build on it an altar to the Lord, for the full price you shall give it to me, that the plague may be restrained from the people. There's his motive. He's like, we need to, I, I'm trying to stop this plague. I'm trying to do whatever God's leading me to do so that I can ease the suffering of the people that I have caused. So here's Ornan's response in verse 23. He says, take it for yourself and let the Lord, the king, do what is good in the sight, in his sight. See, I will give the oxen for the burnt offerings and the threshing sledges for the wood and the wheat and the grain offering. I'll give it all, he says. He says, oh, you're doing something for God? You're fixing to worship God? All right, take it all. Whatever you need, you can have it because we need to worship God because I know that you're doing what, is, what honors God. Now, I can tell you this. There's a lot of things that we have all uh, missed this last year that used to be part of our lives that's been taken away from us because of one thing or another. And that's causing us to grumble sometimes. It's causing us to lose focus on what God might be doing otherwise, what the church is supposed to be doing in the middle of it all. And I have to say to myself, have I said to God, whatever your will is for your kingdom, take it all so that it will be done. Whatever is yours anyway, do whatever you need to do. If you need to take, take. If there's something I have that God needs so that his will will be done, then I need to be in a position to let it go. And it's hard. Even the body of Christ in our day, in our current time, can be guilty of grumbling against whatever God might be doing. Not even knowing that that's what we're doing. Not even knowing that God is doing something way bigger and way better than we would ever imagine. 
The only way I know to help myself and encourage you to get closer to where David and Ornan are in this moment is that what, it, what would you be willing to sacrifice for someone else's soul? Because that's the will of God. That's what the kingdom of God is all about. And if we're going to come out of whatever's going on in 2020 as a bigger, better, greater, stronger church for Christ in God's name, it's going to have to be because we're more willing to let God have what he desires. You think about the things that you're, you might be missing maybe too much because of whatever's gone on in 2020 for you. I love y'all. I'm not trying to smack you down. I'm really just trying to get us all to wake up. Because nobody's going to come to Christ if we're acting like David was acting when he was counting people. When he's counting what he's done and how great he is. When he's keeping track of the things that God has done for him and not wanting to let go of things. If God took every army he ever had in his life, he should have still been satisfied. Here's a guy who's not even the king. He's just, he's just, a, he's just farming. He's over doing his daily routine, and he's like, oh, you want to worship God? All right, take, you can take the property, you can take everything. I'll give you all my cattle. I'll, give you, I'll, I'll even chop the wood for you. How much you need? Take it off. Matter of fact, just take all of it. Take it off. Because it's for God. Uh, when you go home, I want you to stop in the driveway and I want you to look at everything that God's blessed you with and ask yourself, if God showed up, would you be willing to walk away from it for the sake of worshiping him? And then you and God go from there. This is why David's response is genuine because one, he admitted that he, he finally admitted what the sin was. He admitted before that he had sinned, but he was only concerned about getting relief for himself. Then he took responsibility for it. He's like, nobody else did this but me. By the way, newsflash, side note, we, we spend way too much time blaming Satan for things that we do. Notice in the beginning, in verse 1, it says that Satan stood up against Israel and moved David to number Israel, at verse 1. But you go to, I think it's 2 Samuel 20. 6, 24. 2 Samuel 26, 24, I can't remember. Same account. Same exact account says God moved David to count. Same thing. Same account, same story, written two different ways. Is there something wrong with the Bible? Is, there something, is it saying two different things? No. You can take that to the bank. What is, what's happening is, is God allows Satan to tempt God allows Satan to interfere with. Just like he did with Job. Difference is, David failed the test. David failed because he gave in to Satan's lies. Because Satan, no doubt, if I, were to, if I were to guess on how that lie went to David, it's like he, Satan come up to David and said, You are such a great king, David. Look at all the people that you lord over. 
You, you, need to, you know what? You need, to, you need to just figure out how big your army really is so that you will know how great you are. Oh, it's all right. It's not prideful because you're going you're gonna, to you're gonna know that God has blessed you with that, but you just need to know how great God has made you. That's what, that's what Satan does. So I want to show you this. David went to make things right with God. Went up there, did what God said to do. You're remorseful, I want you to worship me then. Act like I'm God. Start acting like I'm the Lord again. Start acting like I'm the only one that you need. Start acting like you can't depend on anything else but me. Start acting like you belong to the kingdom of God again. And the people who belong to the kingdom of God worship him on a regular basis. Acknowledge him on a regular basis. Give him credit on a regular basis. People who belong to the kingdom of God depend on him in every situation, even if it's the darkness of this world surrounding us. And everything seems to be wrong. If you don't think that we've experienced anything like that, you've been asleep since January. Right? It's pretty dark out there, y'all. And it can be discouraging. And we come into our churches and we look around and it's like, where's all the people at? It's discouraging. And Satan wants us to look at stuff like that so that we stop looking at God. I wish I, I, I meant to do it and I didn't do it because I, I, I got sidetracked. I was going to put a picture up here because the first Sunday we were shut down, I was standing right down here. And I walked in here and broke down crying. There's no people in here on a Sunday morning. And it wasn't because they didn't want to be. It's because they couldn't be. And I was hurting for y'all. Just a microphone and empty chairs because of something bad going on in the world. And I had to talk myself out of that. I had to get myself back together so I could preach. I had to get myself back together. It took me about three, four months to do that. Because I told myself, well, this is only going to last a couple, three months. It'll be all right. And then we'll go back to the way it was. No, that's the wrong attitude. Because it ain't going to go back to the way it was. It ain't never going to go back to the way it was. Because God's doing something else. We need to look for the way it's going to be. We need to look for what the kingdom of God is going to do. We need to know what we're supposed to do right now. How do we worship him in the middle of all of this? So why did Ezra write all this stuff down about David? Why is he teaching the Israelites this? Because they're on their way back to the promised land after they had been in darkness for 70 years and they needed to learn that God is still God. And that David can get everything off track and so could they. And the reality is that so could we. Any one of us can derail the whole thing. When it comes to our families, when it comes to our congregation, what God's doing, all it takes is to get off of God and onto something else. All it takes is to get swelled up with sin in our heart. No matter what the sin is, if we don't confess it to God, we'll never get revival. I don't, I don't know if anybody's sinned to cause, cause this virus in this world or not. What I do know is people have sinned, and there's a virus. 
Are they related? I don't know. It doesn't matter. The question is, have I gotten my attention put on God because of it? And if I have, am I dealing with him about the things that I need to be fixed in my life? The pity parties that I've thrown for myself. The times I was so frustrated that I dishonored God. The times that I forgot who God was in the middle of the darkness. I'm not just talking about this year. I'm talking about my whole life. Because I, I, as, as the preacher of this church, I cannot ignore those things. Because God forbid if I ever do anything that would affect you guys. I don't know how I could live with myself. We need God, y'all. We should be the happiest people in, in the middle of a pandemic there ever was. Because God is merciful. And because God loves us so much that he would give us everything we need to honor him in it all. There's there's only one church that I know of for sure that's being persecuted for meeting in the worship hall. There's probably more, just not on news. There's one church in California, and they're being fined thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars just for meeting. They're being told everything they can't do, and they just keep right on worshiping God. My question is, is how come the rest of us aren't being persecuted like that? How come the rest of us aren't struggling with that? How come nobody's noticing when we have Bible study or when we're meeting for worship or when we're serving the Lord in the community? Maybe they are. My question today as we leave is, does God have your attention now? I hope he does. Well, you do the things that David did to instigate a restart with God. That's what we have. We have an opportunity to restart. I left those up there for y'all to read. I'm not going to go through them. Then I turned it off. That was nice. Let me just say this. Every day that we wake up in the morning or the afternoon, whatever your schedule looks like, every day we get another restart, don't we? Every single day the Lord lets us have is another day that we get to honor him and serve him. We get to choose how that day is going to go. We get to choose if that day is going to be full of worship, full of uh, praise, full of service, full of connection with God that draws other people to God. Or we can choose to ignore, be distracted, give in to temptation, and suffer and affect everyone around us if we think our sin don't affect our family and our homes you've been lied to if you think as a member of this church your sin doesn't affect this congregation you've been lied to I'm not saying that you're a horrible person for sinning I'm saying if you don't go get with God it will continue to affect people now I love you and the Lord loves you I know that we've suffered greatly because we just live in a world full of suffering. But let's help each other seek the Lord. Let's help each other stay focused 
on what the kingdom of God is about. Because there's nowhere, nowhere in this scripture that tells me that in, if in 2020 there's a pandemic or civil unrest or any other nonsense, that we can stop making disciples. That we can stop honoring God with our lives. That we can stop seeking him. That we can stop being who God created us to be and Jesus died for us to be. So let's look at David and learn. And let's go to God and just lay ourselves on the ground before the throne and depend on his mercy. Because he will lift us up and he will honor himself with the way that we've been forgiven. He will lift us up and he will carry us through. We will persevere. And I'm going to let you know, the Bible that I read says it's going to get worse. Some people in the world, man, we sit back and we're like, worse than 2020? Good night. How can it get worse than 2020? I'm saying that as a 49-year-old man. Some people have been through some stuff. I've had my share of things. But it, overall, I've had a blessed life, really, if you look at it. If it's going to get worse until Jesus comes back, then we better get on our face before our holy God. And we better prepare ourselves so that we might remain faithful in what Jesus died for us to do. I love you and the Lord loves you. We're going to sing a song right now. I want you all to sing it like you're saved. If there's sin, if there's sin in your heart right now, if you, if you just been wrestling with whatever and you need to repent, now's the time to do it. You need help? Come and see me. Come see somebody else. Whatever you got to do, get your sin on the altar and let God have it so that we can move on, so that you can move on and God would have his way. Y'all ready? Let's stand together and we'll sing.